My name is Matt. I'm a pastor here at Park Church. Welcome. We are glad that you are here on this beautiful spring morning. Um, I was not here last Sunday. I was down in Georgia. You might think by my horribly sunburned appearance that I caught a lot of sun in Georgia. That wasn't the case. I was at four hours of baseball games yesterday, and I didn't do the math. So that's kind of where I'm at. But um, last week I wasn't here. I was down in Georgia for a conference, and Rebecca, our kids coordinator, um, she was also down there for a different conference, and she was there at the end of the week, I was there at the beginning of the week, but we had a chance to go to the same church together on Sunday morning. Um, and it was a neat experience to be able to go and kind of see, you know, how it went, how it worked, um, to learn something new. And I was struck by what the uh, preacher, what the teaching was about. It was about resilience. It was about, you know, when it hits the fan, how do you do? When you get punched in the face, are you able to bounce back up or not? When things don't work out, does it crush you or not? And it was a really um, impactful teaching. I thought it was just fantastic. I took a lot away from it. And then uh, two days later, I got on a plane at 8 o'clock at night on Tuesday night, and I flew back home. And on that flight, my resilience was tested. Uh, flying home, left at 8 o'clock. We were supposed to land about 10.30. We get up to cruising altitude. The pilot is like, great news. There's no weather between here and Newark. Smooth sailing. We're going to get there in an hour and 45 minutes. We're going we're gonna to save 45 minutes for you. You'll be on the ground by 9.30. I'm like, this is, or 9.45. This is, this is fantastic. So we're doing that about an hour and a half into the flight. The pilot comes back on, and, you know, he does his little thing. And he's like, well, weather unexpectedly popped up out of nowhere between here and Newark, and it's at Newark. And you remember Tuesday night, right? There's like horrible thunderstorms. There's a good chance your children were awake because of the thunder and lightning and whatnot. Um, so we're on the plane, and he's like, we're going to have to circle for a little bit. And it's like, OK, that's OK. We'll still get there. Um, about 15, 20 minutes later, he gets back on the intercom, and he says, you know, for those of you on the uh, left of the plane, you might notice Baltimore down there. And if you look in the distance, you might notice Washington, DC. and uh, Dulles International Airport. I was like, as soon as he said the word Dulles, I was like, he is warming us up to be landing in Washington, D.C., isn't he? Like, that's exactly right. So we landed in Washington, D.C. Long story short, three plus hours in the terminal, in the, on the tarmac, lots of false starts, as you know. Um, didn't land in Newark and get home until like three in the morning. My resilience was tested. I did okay. The people who were sitting uh, in front of the kid, in front of me, their resilience was really tested. Uh, it did not go well for them. There was an incident. They had to be moved and whatnot. But um, the topic of resilience was just on my mind. And we're starting a new series this morning, not per se about resilience, but it's also kind of about resilience. Uh, the series that's going to occupy us through the spring it's going to be something that pictures a faith, a life that not only has the ability to survive when things get hard, but actually um, it pictures a faith and a life that thrives when things get difficult. So not just like you do okay and you make it through, but you actually do well when things get hard. That you, you actually have that much resilience that you could do okay when things um, get hard. And whether you're someone who has faith or not this morning, you're coming in here as a Christian or not, I think that's something that we all probably want, right? To be able to look at the things in our lives that are hard and face them, um, and face them with 
with some hope, with some courage, with some um, strength, rather than crumbling, rather than uh, just in weakness. Uh, If you think for a second about the things that make your life hard right now, the things that you wish weren't true, the things that if you could change, you would change them, right? Imagine being able to face those things, uh, not changing them and not making it so that they go away because that's not what the series is about that's not what faith's about that's not what christianity is about there's no magic ticket out of our difficult circumstances right but imagine instead a world where those things that make your life hard um they don't have the power over you to determine how you do and how you are inside but instead there's something inside of you There's something more powerful from God called faith that that's the thing that actually determines how you are and how you do in the world. That's that's what I want. I bet that's what you want. And here's the thing. That's what God wants for us too. And that's that's what God wants to give to us. And so Throughout the spring, we're going to explore how to have that kind of faith um, in a series called Need to Know. And the subtitle is What You Need to Know to Have a Faith that Survives and Thrives in a Challenging World, a.k.a. the Letter to the Philippians. I was in the mood to write a really long subtitle when I came up with that. We can all agree whether we're Christians or not, right? Whether we're children or not, right? We don't need to be adults to know this. The world can be challenging. The world can kick our butts. The world can be really hard on us, right? Um, Whether you're thinking about macro things, right, like wars, uh, poverty, you know, just open the news and school shootings, or the more micro things, right, Um, strife in our family, right, dysfunction amongst the people we love, the people we love getting sick, um, hard times in marriage, right, whether it's big or it's small, we all know that the world, the world can be challenging, the world can really kick our butts, and this was not... um, this is not a new idea. This was not, uh, uh, you know, the man who wrote this letter to the Philippians, a man named Paul, he knew this, he knew this all too well. Paul was a guy who, um, if you don't know anything about him, he more or less was a contemporary of Jesus. Um, he probably didn't ever know Jesus during his life, but he probably was, a, he was about a contemporary with Jesus. He grew up in that area. Um, he grew up as You know, he was educated in the best of Jewish education. He had a good Greek education. He was a really smart guy. He kind of rose the ranks in Judaism um, as a Pharisee. And he was really like the top of the line, cream of the crop, as far as like the Jewish leadership in those days. He described himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees at one point. He was the man. And he was on fire for God. He was zealous for um, the version of Judaism that he had come up with. And the reason that we know anything about Paul is because Paul made a name for himself, making it difficult for Jesus' followers. Because when Jesus died and rose from the dead, there was uh, started this Jesus movement called the Church of Jesus' Followers. And Paul saw that as a threat to his Judaism, but also just as heresy. And for someone who's on fire for God like that, you need to snuff out that heresy. And that's what he did. And so he made it his, his goal to like hunt down, arrest, uh, imprison Christians. And he was there, you know, when they were executed and he, he looked on approvingly. This is how we know about Paul. He made life very difficult for first century Jesus followers. And then Jesus came to him and he became one. And he became a Jesus follower. And Jesus said to him, Paul, now you are going to go and 
your life is going to be about telling the good news of who I am, my death and resurrection, to everyone in this world who doesn't yet know about it. And Paul took the same zealous attitude that he did towards Judaism, and he applied it to uh, his faith in Christ, and he made his life about sharing the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and was raised and now is king of the world, making that known to everyone who doesn't know about it. That's what Paul's life was about. And so what he did was he traveled the Mediterranean world and preached uh, this truth to all kinds of power. He preached it to religious power and political power and economic power and social power, and when you preach the truth to power, what happens is often you get in trouble, and that's exactly what happened to Paul. He got arrested. And Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians while he was in prison. That's part of what makes this letter so compelling. Um, prison in those days is a little different than it is today. Uh, equally bad, you know, our, our prison system these days is unfair and unjust and it needs reform. Back then, kind of equally so. Different purposes, though. Now, prison is more like, uh, you know, it's, it's like a timeout, right? You go to prison for 7 to 10, for 10 to 20, you do your detention, and then you get out. And you're reformed, and you can go back to the world if you make it. Or you're just in prison until you die. In those days, they didn't have the time, the money, the resources. They didn't care about you enough to do that. If you were that big of a problem, they would have just gotten rid of you. And so what prison was in those days was it was a place you waited until your trial or until your sentence was executed, which usually was your execution. That was what prison was. Um, and prison back then, you know, it was, a little, it was a little different in that you were never quite sure how long you were gonna be there for. Um, lo lots of unknowns, right? If you don't do well with the unknown, you would not have liked to have been in prison in 50 or 60 AD whenever Paul wrote this. Um, you didn't know how long you were gonna be there for. You didn't know your fate. You didn't know what was coming. Uh, your future was in the hands of whoever was going to judge your case, whether it was a judge or um, a, a local ruler, a magistrate, a king, whatever it was. And you were at the whim of this person, right? If they were having a good day, maybe you got out. If they weren't having a good day, maybe they would execute you. That was just the way prison went back then. There wasn't a lot of like, laws or rules or statutes or precedent set for prison back then. Uh, it was it was hard, lots of suffering, you know, hunger, thirst, cold, nakedness, alone. I mean, it was a hard time. But what was even more different about it than today is that they didn't care for you. Like, they didn't take care of you. They didn't feed you. They didn't give you water. If you had a medical problem, they didn't take care of it. You were on your own. And so if you were in prison, you were stuck in need. You relied on friends, family, relatives, someone in the area to give you food, to give you water, if you needed medical help, to give medical help. And so when Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, this is one of the two reasons why he writes this letter. I mean, in part, he wants to encourage them not to worry about him, right? Paul had come to love the Philippians, and they uh, loved him back. If you're reading the Bible with us this year, you would have read about how that church got started. Just on Thursday, we read it in Acts 16. Um, but they loved each other, and they were really worried about Paul because it was an, a, a really uns, unsure future. And so Paul wrote to encourage them, but Paul also wrote to thank the Philippians because the Philippians had delivered gifts, food, water, um, money, supplies that Paul needed to live in prison. And that's where he really um, kind of ends the letter by thanking the Philippians for their generosity in that sense. Um, what's so captivating to me about this letter is that he writes it from a place of just intense suffering, a place where um, the unknown threatens his very life day after day after day, a 
place where he could barely count on anything except additional suffering. Um, The faith that Paul talks about, though, it's so compelling because in that situation, stuck in jail, it not only survives, but it actually thrives. And we know this because the word that characterizes the letter to the Philippians more than probably any other word is the word joy. It's joy in the midst of suffering, not just survival, but joy in the midst of circumstances that no one wants, that no one would wish upon you and that you definitely don't wish upon yourself. And who, who wouldn't want that ability to approach life with joy? I mean, whether you're, whether you're a Christian or not, who wouldn't want joy independent of what life throws at you? Because life is hard. It's going to throw bad things at you. And not just joy, but the things that go with joy. Things like peace and happiness and contentment, strength and courage. Whether you're a Christian or not, I think you probably want that. I mean, I do. The question I have for you, though, if you are a Jesus follower, if you are a Christian, does your faith lead to that? Does your faith um, well up within you things like joy and peace, happiness, contentment, in the face of disappointment and of rejection and of misfortune and brokenness and failure and sadness, in the face of imprisonment? Does your faith deliver that for you? If not, and again, I'm pointing one finger out, and that means I'm pointing three fingers in, because I need to hear this too. If not, then it means that something's not going right in your faith. It means that it's not working right. It means that something needs to change, because the promise that, uh, that, that the faith depicted in Philippians holds out to us is one that does provide joy in the midst of every reason not to be joyful, and life in the face of death, and hope in the face of hopeless situations where you can be good, even if things around you aren't good. If your faith doesn't work like that, then that means it's not working. And our hope for you this spring is that you would be open um, to having a change of faith inside of you, to having um, a challenge of faith, for your faith to grow in a new and different way this spring. And if you're someone who doesn't have a faith at all, our hope for you, our sincere hope, is that the seeds of that kind of faith will be planted even this morning. Um, And I would encourage you to go to Rooted, which means you have to leave now to get there. But So what we're going to do each week, starting with this morning, is pick out an aspect of faith that we need to know in order to have this kind of faith. And the need to know that we need to know this Sunday is we need to know the ending. We need to know the ending. How many of you don't do well with suspenseful movies? Right? You ever had the experience of watching a suspenseful movie movie and just being so anxious about it, so on the edge of your seat that you don't even enjoy it because you're so like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen, right? Um, Whereas when you watch it a second time, you watch it with a whole different approach because you know what's going to happen. There's a piece about you. You can notice things because you're not worried about what's going to happen. You're not on the edge of your seat. With movies, that's generally the experience that we want is to be on the edge of our seat, right? To not know what's going to happen. Most people want that. A noted exception is my own wife. We were watching all the Marvel movies leading up to Endgame, and we were watching Winter Soldier, and, which is my favorite movie, and it's just so intense, and it's, it's captivating, it's crazy, it's, it's hard. 
and she is just the worst with this sort of thing. She was just curled up in the couch underneath a blanket in a, in a cocoon of anxiety, just unable to even watch the TV. I mean, at one point she was hiding beneath part of the blanket. And like Winter Soldier isn't even like a scary movie. It's, it's just like an action movie. Um, and she kept looking on her phone at something. And I was like, oh, she must be playing Candy World to make it so that she can like distract herself from all the like anxiety and whatnot. That was like a month ago. Uh, this week I was telling her about what I'm going to preach on and she told me the story of what actually happened. What she was actually doing under the blanket was she was Googling the end of Winter Soldier so that she could actually watch it in peace. I was like, all right. I mean, this is why, this is why historical movies are hard to make well, right? Like, is Lincoln going to make it? You know? I, uh, is, like, Apollo 13, does he make it? Did they make it back or not? Like, you know, that's why it's hard. This is why prequels are hard, right? Who watched the Solo movie wondering whether Han and Chewie were going to make it, right? I mean, they made it, obviously. Um, in movies, though, this is what we want. But in life, that's not what we want. We don't want to be on the edge of our seats full of anxiety like that, right? Imagine being able to go through life like you have already s- seen the ending, right? Imagine being able to go through life um, as if you're watching a movie for the second time, confident and peaceful, knowing about how it's going, knowing how it's going to turn out, so that you're not full of that anxiety, that worry, that fear of the unknown, um, that fear of the moment. I mean, imagine if you knew the ending, how you could survive and thrive differently today, if that were the case. This is where Paul, he doesn't talk about movies, but this is where Paul kind of begins his letter to the Philippians. We're kind of, kind of jump into uh, the first chapter. We'll start with verse 12 and kind of go from there. Um, he jumps in talking about his own imprisonment. He says, I want you to know, beloved, he's writing to a group of uh, Jesus followers, people in Philippi, just like we are people today. He writes to them, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me, my being imprisoned, has actually helped to spread the gospel. And remember, All Paul cares about is the spread of the gospel. All Paul cares about is people hearing the news that Jesus died and was raised and is now king of the world for them. It's actually helped spread the gospel because uh, the imperial guard, everyone's heard about it, and everyone else, that my imprisonment is for Christ. So all the guards, all the other prisoners, anyone involved in Paul's case, all of them have heard about this from Paul so far. And most of the brothers and sisters, uh, most of the other believers in the area, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. What Paul is saying here is because they captured the main guy, because they captured me, that means that all of the non-main guys, all of the minions are free to go and spread the gospel because they got the main guy. They're not going to arrest, you know, the minor players. So they're free to speak the word uh, with boldness and without fear. And then Paul says, And here's where the joy comes back in. Paul says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I know in the end of all of this, this will turn out for my deliverance. I know the ending. The ending is, it will be okay. The word that Paul uses for deliverance there, it's also the word um, for freed, but it's also the word for saved, for salvation. 
Paul knows in the end, the imprisonment, the hunger, the pain, the suffering, it will turn out okay. But not in the way that we think. Not in the way that we might think. Because what we might think Paul is saying here is, I know eventually I'll be let out of prison and I'll be good to go. As if there was some sort of magic ticket or some get out of jail free card that Paul could get. A lot of times that's what we think faith is. We think faith is, if I do X, Y, and Z for God, then that means that God will give me what I want. That's not, that's not the faith that Paul is talking about here. Um, there is no kind of magic get out of jail free card that Paul's referring to. That's what we want sometimes. That's not what Paul says. What Paul says is actually uh, that much better. Because look at what he says next. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way. That is, um, he doesn't want to suffer more. He hopes he gets out. He doesn't want to be in prison forever. But that, my, that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body. See, all Paul cares about is the gospel. That's all he cares about. And then he says this, whether by life or by death. You see the ending here for Paul is deliverance, not by getting what he wants, not by getting out, not by getting freed, but it's by whatever God wants. It's by life or by death. It will work out one way or the other. Because Paul knows that there's two ways out of prison. One is to be freed and given back to life. The other is to be freed from prison by way of death. What Paul is saying, this is how much um, faith he has in God, that whether it goes very good or very bad, it's deliverance for him. Because Paul knows the ending. Paul knows that whether in good or in bad, right, the marriage vows, in sickness or in health, in plenty or in want, Paul knows that his life is already in God's hands. And because of that, he has nothing actually to worry about. Paul knows the ending already. Life and death, those aren't the ending. Those are the endings before the ending, the real ending. All of our ends are in, is in God's hands, God's decision, God's prerogative, God's care. It's why he wrote elsewhere that our lives are actually kept hidden, kept secure with Christ in God already. And so what Paul is saying here is he's not going to put his hope in the outcome that he wants. He's not going to put his hope in God giving him the outcome that he wants, but rather he's going to put his hope in the one who has those outcomes in his hands. He's going to put his hope in the one in whose hands he is already. Life and death matter, right? There's a phrase, it's a matter of life and death. But they're not the ending. God is our ending. And what Paul is saying here is, I'm going to trust him more than I'm going to trust the outcome of my situation. Imagine for a second if you could go through life knowing that fact with that outlook. Whether life or death, I'm in God's hands. Whether good or bad, God's hands. Get the job or not, God's hands. Whether the test comes back positive or negative, whether I beat this thing or this thing beats me, God's hands. Imagine if you could stare in the face the thing that makes your life difficult, the thing you wish you didn't have to face, and you could say to it, yes, it matters, yes, it sinks, yes, it hurts, it's not what I want, it's unfair, it's not right, but it is not my ending. I know my ending, and this is not it. My ending is that I am in God's hands already, so I have nothing to fear. Imagine if you could go through life like that. I was reading a book 
on Philippians, actually. And when it got to this section, uh, it titled this section, The Pillow of God's Sovereignty. And sovereignty is a kind of fancy religious theological word. Um, It comes from the word sovereign, which means to be in charge of something, to be in control of something. Um, God's sovereignty means that God's got this. God's in charge of this. Uh, The pillow of God's sovereignty. Think about that image for a second. Imagine um, not having to sit on the edge of your seat all the time, but being able to rest your head on the pillow of the fact that you know God's got this. And not just that God's got this, but that God's got you. Imagine being able to rest your head at that at night like that, not thinking about what could go wrong tomorrow, not thinking about the thing that you wish you didn't do, not thinking about the fear, the anxiety, the worry, the restlessness, not thinking about that, but instead sleeping soundly on the pillow of the fact that God has got this. If you could face life like this, if you could face life like that, you would say things like this. You would say things like, for to me, living is Christ. Living is good. Living is what I want. Living is what Jesus wants for us. Life is what Jesus wants for us. But dying ain't so bad either. Dying is gain. Because whether I live or I die, I'm in God's hands. He says, uh, if I am to live in the flesh, if I am to keep living, that means fruitful labor for me. And when he says fruitful labor, what he means is more preaching the gospel, which is good, but it also means more imprisonments, more stonings, more beatings, more whips, more flogs, and probably a, a more painful death. And he says, and I don't know which I prefer, for I'm actually hard-pressed between the two. I can't decide whether I'd rather go life or death here. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. And what he's saying is, um, it's better for me and for the churches I serve if I stay alive and keep preaching the gospel. I get that. But gosh, things have gotten hard. I know it's more beatings, more stonings, more whatever. I kind of would rather depart and be with Christ at this point. And um, just to give two asides right here, uh, if you think this is Paul stating some sort of suicidal desire, that's certainly not what's happening here. Paul is not talking about taking his own life. His life actually wasn't his to take. Um, his life or his death were solely in the hands of the, of the prison guards and of the sentence and whatnot. So this is not like Paul kind of wanting to go like that. The other aside I'll make is that this is really one of the only areas in the New Testament or in Paul's writings in the New Testament, where what happens to us after we die is directly addressed, right? There's a lot of fancy language, there's a lot of ideas around it, but not here. It's very simple. He just says two things after you die. You go to be with Christ, and that's better. That's better than where we are now. Um, that's, not, that's not that bad. That's pretty good. That's enough for me um, to have hope in, for me to go on. Paul says, Either way, my life is in God's hands. This is what made it so that Paul could literally stare a life of continued suffering in the face or stare death in the face and do it with joy, with real joy, peace, hope, confidence. That's faith. Whether I live or die, stay or go, win or lose, positive or negative, God's got this. God's got you. Whether it works out or doesn't, it's not my end because Jesus 
holds my end already. I belong to him. My life is with him. And he has won the victory that I needed to have won for me already when he walked out of that tomb on Easter morning. That's what faith is. Resting on that promise, resting on the pillow of God's sovereignty. And Paul is a living example of what that faith in Jesus actually looks like for us. But the question for us, the question for us is how do we actually take this in, in a way that goes into our hearts, goes into our minds, into our bones, and actually makes it so that we live differently because of it? How do we take this in so that not just we know it like you heard what I said, but you know it, you know it. Like you know it like it changes how you live. So that the anxiety that you feel isn't as crippling anymore. Or so that when the thing happens, you don't lose hope when, when the thing doesn't work out. Or when it doesn't crumble when it hits the fan. You can actually rejoice in the face of the thing that you don't want to face. How do we actually do this? How do we appropriate this, appropriate this for ourselves? Paul actually already gave us the answer, and I kind of read through it quickly. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Can you see the answer there? If not, I'll help you out. I know through prayers and the help of the Spirit. I know through prayers and the help of of the Spirit. I know this not just cognitively, but I know it with all that I am because of prayer and the help of the Spirit. When he's talking about prayer, he's talking about their prayer for him, but also his own prayer for himself. The headline here is that prayer actually works. Prayer actually matters. It actually makes a difference. And so uh, to give a little preview of the sermon that will come six or seven weeks from now, at the very end of the book of Philippians, Paul says something about prayer that absolutely is um crucial to understanding what he's saying here. He says about prayer at the end, he says, do not worry about anything. And remember, he's in prison, unknown future, unknown uh, present, you know, suffering, doesn't know. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, in everything, through prayer and supplication, that just means asking, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Make your requests known to God. What Paul is saying there, he's saying here, if you want this sort of faith to go inside of you, to penetrate you deep, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask and ask. And God's spirit, the help of the spirit, will make that change inside of you. And all you need to do is ask and ask and ask. What I want you to walk away with this morning is if you want a faith like this, a faith that can produce joy and hope and courage in the face of things that you don't want to face, here's the first step to it. You could do this today. Ask for it. Ask God for it. And if you're not a praying person, here's how this prayer can go. You know, wake up in the morning or before you go to sleep, when you're brushing your teeth, rather than sing the ABCs twice, just close your eyes and say this instead. Say, God, that short, stocky, sunburned man, said something about how my life is in God's hands, my life is in your hands, that I have nothing to worry about, that you know the ending, and my ending is in your hand. I have nothing to fear. God, I don't know how to actually believe that. I don't know how to actually um, own that for myself, and so I need your help. And so please come inside of me and 
and make that change in my heart, make that change in my mind. Amen. And say that prayer. Maybe not in those words, but say that prayer. And say it again, and then say it again, and say it again every day. And keep saying it. And here's what else you should do. You should come back next week. And not just next week, but the week after and the week after. Because each week we're going to keep building on more of this, pulling in more things from, from Philippians that we need to know to have this kind of faith. And here's what else you should do. You should read Philippians on your own. Um, we covered the first chapter this week, and I only talked about like four verses. There's a whole lot of other verses to read. Read Philippians. It takes about 10 minutes to read. You should read it every day for the next eight weeks. If anyone does that, I'll punch your uh, subcard, and you'll get a free something at the end of the <laughs> something, right? And the other thing I'll say, I'll say this. Don't try to do this alone. It's why we want you to be in a community group, because we want you to be able to talk about faith to talk about what you're hearing, what you're learning, um, to talk about the struggle of prayer, to talk about all this stuff with other people so you could uh, grow this faith together, right? Paul needed the other people's prayers. We're going to see in Philippians, Paul needed friends. Paul needed people who were with him in this. You do too. Don't forget that. Don't take that for granted. Get involved with a group um, and go through this all together. Because if you could actually go through life really knowing this ending, Really knowing that your life is in God's hands, whether you live or you die, you'll be okay because you're in God's hands already. If you could go through life living like this, imagine the anxiety, the worry, the fear gone. The confidence, the hope, the courage way up, and the joy where there just was no joy before. Imagine that. And if you don't think God can do this, or God would do this, or God could spark this sort of change in you. I want you to hear this promise that is as good for you today as it was for those 2,000 years ago that Paul wrote. In the very beginning of this chapter, he wrote, I am confident of this, confident, that the one who began a good work among you, the one who, the one who first sparked that faith in you all, that years, all those years ago, the one who first opened your eyes to see who God actually could be, um, and you haven't heard from him in a long time. The one who 10 years ago changed your life, but you haven't taken many steps of faith since. The one who three years ago you got baptized and you haven't done anything about it since then. That one who began that good work in you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is convinced of this, that the one who began that work in you through prayer and little moments, movements of the Holy Spirit, he will see it through in you. He will not give up on you. And he will not give you up. He will not relinquish his grip on you. He will not stop because God is relentless with you. His love for you is relentless. The way he holds you and keeps you is relentless. He will see you through to the end, whatever it takes. He will not let you go. That is the ending that you need to know. He will not let you go. Let's pray. God, we come before you thankful for the way that you send your spirit into uh, this community, into our hearts, into our lives, to overflow within us, to show us who you are, to help us where we need help, to bring us to believe things we can't believe, to change our heart, to transform our mind, and God, we pray that that spirit would work in us now. 
for each and every one of us here in this room who has a hard time really believing these promises in a way that changes lives, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would come and do that, would make that move. God, we thank you that you are so gracious with us, that our ending is not a mystery to us. Our ending is you. You are entirely trustworthy. We thank you that you have shown yourself true to that already. We pray that you would show yourself to that more and more. Lord, as we struggle with steps of faith, we pray that you would help us through one another, through your spirit, move us along the line. Lord, if we have no faith, if we're people here who don't even believe this, God, we pray that you would plant seeds even now and make it so that our community here and our faith as individuals um, can work towards that same spread of the gospel that Paul gave his life to work towards. We pray that you would move in us now, bring us to a place of larger, of more uh, robust faith. Lord, show us again, tell us again the promise that you will not let us go as we sing uh, about that to you right now. We lift these up to you in our prayers with the help of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.